0: Hello, happy Wednesday, and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing the reports linking the club with a move for Uruguayan striker Darwin Nunez, a player we spoke about not that long ago. I think it was about a week ago when we put out a video discussing Darwin Nunez and whether or not he'd be the right man to lead the line for Arsenal moving forward. So it's not a new link, but it is a link and a story that appears to be gathering pace. We're going to bring you up to speed with exactly what has been said, uh, with exactly what has been reported, and um, and we're also going to get some of your thoughts and questions from the live chat. We're also going to be touching on Patrick Vieira who has been named in the Premier League's Hall of Fame. Um, I'm a massive, massive Patrick Vieira fan, so I'm going to take the opportunity to uh, wax lyrical about Patrick Vieira for a few minutes at some point in this podcast, without doubt. Uh, Big hello to everybody who is joining us live at the moment. hope you're all well. Hope you're all good. Um, Hope you're enjoying the sunshine because the sun, once again, here in London, is shining bright. And I'm looking forward to sticking the barbecue on a little bit later. Bit of a quiet week, uh, given it's the international break given the weather's nice you've got to make the most of it haven't you maybe we'll do a barbecue video hmm yeah maybe a lot of you asked for them so maybe we'll do one let's see let's see how it goes uh, but let's get back to business let's talk darwin nunez and let's bring you up to speed with the Express's report uh, which says that arsenal t- uh, technical director i beg your pardon edu has held background talks That's what they call it. Background talks with Darwin Nunez's representatives with a view to a summer move for the 22 year old. Now, the report claims that he's one of six names on a striker shortlist. We'll go through that shortlist in a minute and I'll give you some of my thoughts on those players included on that list. But first of all, um, let's talk Darwin Nunez and, and what will he bring to the side? Well, if you want a bit more detail on Darwin Nunez. If you want to go back, uh, sorry, dig in a little bit deeper, then go back on the channel. There is a video that I put out, what, a week ago now, a week and a bit ago. Uh, I think it was just before the Liverpool game. I think it was on the day of the Liverpool game, actually, uh, which you can find We didn't release it in podcast format, so if you are an audio listener, you won't have heard it, Uh, but please do go over to the YouTube channel and check it out. And the question that I posed was, is Darwin Nunez the striker for Arsenal? Now, this came off of the back of me covering Ajax's second leg uh, of their Champions League round of 16 tie with Benfica. I got to watch Darwin Nunez up close, closer than I've probably ever watched him before. I know he's played against Arsenal, but you know, going into the, this particular game, I knew that there was a link with Arsenal. And so naturally, I focused more on that particular individual. What did I think of him? I think he's incredibly powerful. I think he's incredibly strong. I think he's got all the phys- physical attributes, I beg your pardon, that make him a good fit for the Premier League. I think he's quick across the ground. He's mobile. And it's good to see like a kind of big man who has that mobility as well. I think in years gone by, we've associated the big strikers, if you like, the big, tall, broad strikers as players that aren't necessarily as mobile and players who are a bit of a target, but then don't pose that threat in behind. Darwin Nunez, though, is a bit of both. And that's what I really, really like about him. That's what puts him so high up my list of wants come this summer, because He does have that ability to be a threat in the air. If you work the ball into wide areas, if you're struggling to break a team down and you do need to be a bit more direct and you do need to put the ball into the box early, Darwin Nunez feels like someone who can give you an aerial threat. But he's also got that ability to run in behind when you're playing on the counter-attack, when defences are are looking to squeeze up the pitch. He's someone that you can uh, get working in the channels. And that's what I really, really like about him, the versatility within his own game, the fact that he can play... In a number of different ways. My one concern or question mark over Darwin Nunez was technically, is he up to it? Like, we're talking about a striker coming in and having to be, in a lot of ways, the glue that links our front three, four, if you want to include Martin Odegaard in that together. And that's what Alexander Lacazette does at the moment. He does it very, very well. He drops back into the midfield and he makes tackles and he gets involved in the defensive side of the game. But given he's not as mobile as we'd like, and given that he is maybe not the fittest striker uh, in the world, I do think he then struggles having contributed on that side of the game to then have an impact sometimes in the box. Sometimes it takes him too long to get there. Sometimes he hasn't got the legs to make the move across the front of the goal, for example, that we so desperately need him to make. Darwin Nunez seems to me like he'd be capable of doing that. But does he have the football intelligence to link all of that play together um, in an attacking sense. And what I mean by that is, does he have the footballing intelligence to, to get the best out of Saka, to get the best out of Smith Rowe or Martinelli and to link up with Martin Odegaard? Does he have that quickness of thought? I'm not saying that he doesn't, but I haven't seen enough of Darwin Nunez to suggest that intellectually, he's a footballer of the highest order, of the highest level. I think physically, there is no question about it. Physically, he ticks every box for me. And we talk a lot, don't we, about South American strikers. I know I've brought this up on numerous occasions. I love the tenacity that you normally get with South American strikers. We've seen it in over the years in in people like Alexis Sanchez. We've seen it in, uh, you know, Luis Suarez. Uh, We see it in people like Richarlison, you know, that tenacity, that drive, that desire to succeed all the time. We see it in our very own Gabriel Martinelli. I love all of that. And I think that that is something that, you know, also probably maybe sentimentally or maybe sort of emotionally makes me feel like this could be the right player for us. I also think that he'll be available for a very, very decent price. Um, You know, we know that Portuguese football is not, I'm not saying Benfica are a poor club because they're not, but we know that Portuguese football isn't seen as being one of the big leagues. And I know that, you know, in the past, Benfica have kind of been really good at selling players on for big amounts of money and then reinventing themselves and bringing in new players, often from South America, developing them, growing them, and then again, moving them on. And that that seems to be the Benfica cycle. They're very much like the Ajax of Portugal in that sense, if that makes sense. But you look at Darwin Nunez, according to SOFA score, his market value is around about 36 million, pa- uh, million euros. I beg your pardon. Now, for a 22 year old for, uh, and someone who's shown so much promise, right? This is someone we're talking about, Darwin Nunez, here, who's got 26 goals this season. 20 of them have come in Liga Nosh, four in the Champions League, two in the Portuguese League Cup. And, and I talk about 26 goals. Overall, you know, you've got to think about the the appearances he's done it in as well. Eight appearances in the Champions League, four goals. That's one in two in Europe's premier competition and 22 appearances in Liga Nosh, 20 league goals. His stats make really good reading. They really, really do. And given that he brings all those physical things I've talked about, the ability to run in behind, the aerial threat. I think he's robust enough for the Premier League. I think he's got the kind of frame that you want to have when you're having the ball sometimes played into your feet and you're having to hold off a centre-half. I think he's got so much going for him. And at that sort of money, and that is just a rumoured player value, you know, we, we don't know exactly what Benfica are going to be asking but it's 36 million euros. If they asked for 50 million euros, it would still be good value for money. And one of the things I was a little bit worried about in the January window, when we were linked with first Dusan Vlavic and then Alexander Isak, was that we were going to go over the top in terms of the fee because of our desperation at that particular point in the season. And because Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was leaving the club. The issue is that if you go above and beyond, and I know a lot of Arsenal fans say this to me, like, why do you care about the finances? Like, why why should you give a shit about what the club spends? Just demand and want the best players and don't worry about that. That's for the executives to worry about. That's what for Edu to worry about. But if the club are not in a good state, that does have an impact on the football inside. It does have a knock-on effect on what we're able to do. And, And my view was that although I would have quite liked... Alexander Isak to come in, for example, if we were going to go and pay way over the top, his release clause was 75 million quid or whatever it was. You then take away from what you can use in the summer and the summer windows are much more important. The summer windows are the windows that you use to build. The January windows, as I always say, windows that you use to plug holes. And it's very rare that you get the player that you want for the long-term and for the future in a January window. You know, it's happened before. We've done it in the past. We managed to get Messer Ozil uh, in, not in the January window, but right at the end of a summer window. I think we got André Arshavin in a, in a January window, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that. It was a long time ago. But what I'm saying is you can go out and buy players in the January window if you think they're the right ones and if you think that the finance makes sense. But it's not a window that you should be held hostage in, is the point I'm trying to make. Mid-season, it's not ideal. You want players to come in in the summer, to have time to bond and meet their teammates, to work closely with them um, without having to deal with games in between. And I just think that in not pulling the trigger in January, I'm hoping it doesn't bite us in the arse. But if it doesn't and we manage to get over the line and achieve our objectives, we then put ourselves in a very good position to take our time, choose our man, go out there and get him, get it done, um, and continue with the plan. You know, doing a deal like that in January, we thought at the time it was maybe Arsenal looking to accelerate the plan, i.e. to bring things forward, to bring forward the, uh, the idea of signing a striker. But actually, it would have been, you know, it could have been detrimental to the summer. And what you don't want to do is go so big in January that, You then get to the summer. And that's the point, as I say, where you should be building and you're acting with one arm tied behind your back because you've overspent on a player just to get him in January, just to get him a few months earlier. I think if we can get Darwin Nunez for something around about 50, 55 million euros, I think that'd be very, very good money, Uh, a, a very good value for money. I beg your pardon. I really, really do. I mentioned at the top of the programme that according to this report in the Express, there are a number of striking options that Arsenal are considering. They called it a six-man shortlist. So let me take you through who is on that shortlist and give you some brief thoughts on each of those players. So Darwin Nunez, I'm on board with, as you've probably gathered from what I've been saying. The reasons being to just quickly summarise. Physically, I think he's cut out for the Premier League. I think that he's young and he's got that potential to develop. He fits into that bracket of player that we seem to be looking at as a football club at the moment. Um, I think that he's attainable at what represents good value for money. And I think that's important because, not because I care so much about what Arsenal spend, but because it then puts us in a position where we can continue to strengthen and develop the squad. And I'll tell you what, if we do get into the Champions League, if we do make it into Europe's premier competition, then we're going to need a much deeper squad than the one we have now. We're going to need a much you know, stronger group. We're going to need more players. We're going to need um, better players. We're going to need to be able to rotate as seamlessly as the likes of Man City and Liverpool and Chelsea do if we want to be competitive in that competition. So there's a lot of work to be done still with regards to this squad. And if bringing in someone like Darwin Nunez, who could, whoops, Sky News notification, if we bring in uh, Darwin Nunez, who could be just as good, um, you know, as some of those other options that we're hearing about and that we're talking about, but for a very reasonable price, then that to me makes sense. So who else are we talking about on this shortlist then? So the players named are Napoli's Victor Ossiman. Now, I really like Victor Ossiman. I think he's a really good striker, really effective striker, and he's enjoyed a wonderful season um, with Napoli so far. Napoli, of course, very much in the Scudetto race this season. Um, you know, if you look at his, uh, his stats this season, if you're talking about Serie A alone, you're talking about a player who's played on 20 uh, occasions, started 17 games, 11 goals. Pretty good going. Again, 23 years old, fits into... Uh, the mould of player that we're looking for is in incredible form at the moment. Uh, he's got player ratings of 8.2 and 8.5 in his last couple of games, albeit against Udinese and Verona. Uh, but he is a player of of a real high calibre. And at 23 years old, as I say, he too fits into that kind of mould of player that we want. But my issue with Victor Osimhen and why I think that this deal will be very difficult to do is first of all, his value, according to Sofa Score is at 58 million euros, which is significantly more than that of Darwin Nunez. But it also, you're having to deal with Aurelio De Laurentiis, the Napoli president, who is, put it politely, um, a madman. He's a madman. He has sold players in the past. He has made sure that he's kept hold of players, Um in the past, when he, even when cl- other clubs were circling, but what Aurelio De Laurentiis does quite often is he puts price tags on his players that just make them unattainable. And I think that given the season that Victor Osimen's had and the, the importance that he carries within this Napoli side, I think this is a deal that you're going to have to pay stupid money for. I think you're going to have to go seventy million pounds and above to get Victor Ossiman. And then you've got a weigh up whether you think he's worth that or not. Now, Darwin Nunez, if you're talking, if I'm predicting, and these are my predictions, but I I was very, I thought I was very accurate last summer when I was talking about valuations and what players would probably go for. I repeatedly said that if we could get up to 30, 35 million pounds, we'd have got Martin Odegaard and lo and behold, that's exactly what we did. Um, so I think with... with Victor Ossiman, I think you're going to need to pay in excess of 70, 75 million pounds because he's shown incredible promise. He is 23 years old. He's doing it in one of the big leagues, but also you're dealing with Aurelio De Laurentiis, who, as I say, is a bit of a loose cannon, uh, knows what he wants, can be very controversial, um, has been very controversial in the past. He's a very controversial figure within Italian football. And I just think that you'd be trying to drive a, a hard bargain with someone who rarely budges. And so he normally gets his way. And if you want the player that much, you're going to have to break the bank and do it. So I'm not really sure uh, that that's a deal that's doable for Arsenal, given the other work that needs to be done and given those financial figures that we uh, we saw just a little while ago. Another player on the list is Lille's Jonathan David. And I know Moss, uh, one of our members in the chat, is a massive Jonathan David fan. And in the past, He's been critical of me for not really rating Jonathan David at the same level he does. Now, I'm not saying that Jonathan David's a bad player. I've never said that Jonathan David is a bad player. I'm just not sure that what I'm seeing from Jonathan David right now in uh, in the French uh, league 1 is transferable into the Premier League. Now, in Jonathan David, you're talking about a player who's played 29 times, started 25 games in the league so far this season and has managed 13 goals, which means he scores every 170 minutes. Now, that's pretty good going. And as we've established on numerous occasions, it's not just about uh, scoring goals in this Arteta system. Yes, it would be great if we could get a striker in who offers us all of the build-up play and all of the good things that Alexander Lacazette does, but can also increase the goal output and really, really help us. We've seen it in the past. We've seen players come from the French league 1 who had promise, who had potential, come to the Premier League and struggle to make it. Why? Because the level between the two leagues is so significantly different. The gap between league 1 outside of PSG and the Premier League is much bigger than it is between the Premier League in Serie A or the Premier League and La Liga or even the Premier League and the Bundesliga. I genuinely do believe that. And, and we're in a place where, just like when I was talking about Emi Buendia last season, when I got a lot of criticism and a lot of uh, stick for saying that we shouldn't go for him and that we should pull out and that Norwich's asking price was ridiculous and over the top and was something that I wouldn't even entertain uh, the idea of paying. It was because of this same concern, because I didn't know if what we were seeing from Emi Buendia in a significantly worse league, and I'm not saying that league earn his championship level, but what I am saying is that we can't get caught up in stats all the time. Sometimes you have to rely on the good old eye test. You know, in in days gone by, we didn't have access to as many stats as we do now. We didn't have access at our fingertips to how much a player runs, um, you know, how many key passes they make, how many passes into the final third they make, what their XG is, all of that stuff is relatively new in terms of us as fans and consumers of the sport having access to it. But it can't be the be all and end all. It can't be the only thing that we judge a player on. The eye test for me is still what I trust. It's still what my instinct tells me. And I've got to go with my instinct. Um, I've been watching football for a long time. I've covered football for a long time now. I'm I'm someone who really does trust in my instinct and call that arrogant, call it whatever you want. But I just look at Jonathan David and I don't know that he'll be able to make the level of impact that we need him to make in the Premier League. I'm, I would quite happily entertain the idea of bringing Jonathan David in as an option. But if you're going to base your team around him, I'm not sure. Um, I'm I'm not sure he's the answer. I'm sorry, Moss. I know you're going to get (laughs) upset with this, but I'm I'm just not sure. Another player on that shortlist though, is Everton's Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Again, not totally convinced by him. And again, you've got to consider the likelihood of this deal being done and what it's going to take to do this deal. In Dominic Calvert-Lewin, you're talking about a player right now who, um, Who, you know, has had his injury problems this season, who has at times looked a real formidable force in the Premier League. Again, going back to that whole, you know, can he physically do it in the Premier League? Well, we know he can. He's a big lad. He's a strong lad, very mobile, 25 years old, 187 centimetres tall, valued according to uh, the same website for the sake of consistency at 48 million uh, euros, that is. Three goals in the Premier League this season. He has only uh, played 10 games due to those injury problems. But uh, again, you know, what is it going to take to prize him away from an Everton side under Farhad Mashiri, who have money? And who are pretty comfortable. And I know there's a lot of controversy about Russian ownership at the moment. And there is Russian money within Everton. And is that going to have a knock-on effect and an impact on them moving forward? I don't know. But what I do know is that to take a player away from a fellow Premier League club, it normally takes a hell of a lot of money. And a lot more money than it would take to go and get somebody of an equal standing abroad. Now, of course, there is that. Premier League proven thing that everybody bangs on about? Does it mean that you should pay more money because you don't worry that that transition is going to be difficult for him? He knows the league. He understands the league. He's up to speed with the the, the style of football that he'd be asked to be playing every week. But it doesn't work like that. I, th- I think if you're a great footballer, as long as there is a bit of patience uh, and and a little bit of kind of leeway given during those adaptation periods, then I think that if you're a good player, you'll flourish anywhere. And um, and I don't think that um, that Dominic Calvert Lewin, from what I've seen, and again putting stats to one side, is the guy that I'd want to spend the largest proportion of our transfer budget on this summer. I'm sorry, a lot of people would disagree with that. I hear lots of Arsenal fans on a daily basis talking about Dominic Calvert Lewin and his suitability to this club. Not for me. Not interested in the slightest. Um, Lathan says he's a good backup. Him and Nunez would be very good options, maybe. Um, but you you can't afford to spend in excess of 60, 65 million pounds, which I think I think is what it would probably cost for Dominic Calvert Lewin to have him as a backup option. Like we're not Man City, and and we're not gonna be that anytime soon, not under this current ownership and not under this current structure. So we've got to take that into consideration when we think about all of this. Moving on to the next player on the list is Chelsea's Armando Broja. obviously playing his football at Southampton at the moment. The Albanian striker is on loan at St. Mary's, but could be on the move this summer. Now, his performances have caught the eye of a lot of people, uh, in particular myself. I've really enjoyed watching him play. A player I'd quite like to see come to the club. But Armando Brogia is still developing. He's still young. And if the price was right, I think I'd take a bit of a punt on this. I really would. But as I say, the price has got to be right because would I would I say that Armando Broja is 100% ready to play as the main man for Arsenal every single week today? When you were talking about Jonathan David in the chat um, as being a, an option, that's how I see Armando Broja at the moment. An option that I very much like. But again, you've got to think about where you're trying to get them from and where you're trying to prize them away from. Chelsea, in the mud at the moment, obviously have a lot of things going on behind the scenes, but you expect that that takeover will happen pretty soon. And as a result of that, they'll be able to just, you know, move on uh, and get back to normal operating ways. Whoever buys them isn't going to be poor. They're not going to go from the riches of Roman Abramovich to poverty. They're going to have money to spend still. It's going to be sold, apparently, as one of the most expensive football franchise, sports franchises, I beg your pardon, ever which tells you that the people that are buying it need to be pretty well stocked in cash. Um, so I like Armando Broja, but my reservation is, can we get him off of Chelsea? And would Chelsea even want to sell him to us? It's clear that Romelu Lukaku is not having uh, the greatest time at Chelsea. There's a good chance that he could leave the club. And so does uh, Armando Broja. come into their thinking for next season. Maybe so. And of course, the other player is uh, Real Sociedad's Alexander Isak, who we've spoken about at length throughout the um, the January window. I like Isak. I'd be happy with Isak coming in. But again, it goes back to that thing, you know, as I said, in January, I felt like we, because we were running out of time and because of Real Sociedad's inability to probably get a replacement in quickly, they were playing hardball and they were very adamant that unless we met the release clause, there was no chance we were getting him. And Arsenal just felt that that release clause was was too much. It was too high. Um, and so we didn't do it. I think the summer, though, gives you an opportunity to negotiate. It gives you time to negotiate. It gives time to the selling club to line up a potential replacement. And therefore, there's a greater chance that you get him for less than that release clause, which is, of course, there to protect Real Sociedad. So... I think we probably will go back in for Alexander Isak or at least uh, sort of explore that possibility. But I I still don't think you're going to get Arsenal paying £75 to bring him into the club. That's my opinion on that one. Okay, Um, that's the list. That's the shortlist of six strikers that Arsenal are supposedly lining up ahead of the summer. We're not going to sign all six, of course. Uh, But those players are, as mentioned, Darwin Nunez. Uh, the main subject of this episode. Victor Osimhen of Napoli, Lille's Jonathan David, Dominic Calvert-Lewin of Everton, and Chelsea's Armando Broja and Alexander Isak of Real Sociedad. Let me know in the comments who you'd like to see come in from those names. If you could only pick one, who are you leaning towards? Who are you going for? And while you do that, uh, just going to draw your attention over Uh, to our partners at Football Prizes. Uh, Remember, we mentioned to to you in the last couple of days that there is a Kieran Tierney signed and framed Arsenal shirt available. Um, What a prize this is. It ends tomorrow, this particular competition. Uh, The tickets are just £3.95 and there are 99 available. Now, although, as I say, it ends tomorrow at 7.30pm UK time, as you can see here, 70 of the 99 tickets sold Uh, sorry, 70 of the 99 tickets available, I beg your pardon, have already been sold. So uh, if you want to get involved in this, if you want your chance to win it, you have to, have to uh, get onto this one quickly. But what a fantastic prize it is. Okay, check out Football Prizes. The link is in the description. And something else I just wanted to bring you guys' attention to as well um, is is, uh, I'm asking for a bit of support, basically, Uh, for a friend of the show, uh, someone who is uh, very much uh, loved in the Arsenal podcast space. Um, And that is, of course, our good friend Ola Akande. Um, Ola is a family man, father of two. He works as a full time carer for people with disabilities, which he's been doing since before the pandemic. And he worked tirelessly Uh, throughout the pandemic, but he now needs to apply for residency uh, in order to, needs to reapply, I beg your pardon, in order to continue working and looking after his family. But the UK BA fees uh, included a surcharge and the lawyer fees have gone up incredibly, uh, meaning that he's in a A bit of a pickle and needs uh, some help to be able to kind of get over the line and make sure that he can remain. Now, Ola, I'm sure you've all recognised him. Um, I'm sure you all know who he is. You would have seen him on lots and lots of Arsenal podcasts. He's not gone around asking us uh, to push this or asking us to promote this. Um, But it is something that obviously means uh, the world to the kind of Arsenal podcasting community because he's such a pleasant guy, such a good guy and um, a family man who works incredibly hard. And so if you could possibly um, help Ola in terms of uh, making sure that he can uh, apply for, reapply for his residency um, and stay put where his family is settled um, and stay part of the London Arsenal community, then please do click on the link in the description. I really, really do appreciate it. Okay, uh, let's get over uh, to some of your questions in the chat. I'm just having a quick look at who you guys are saying. Lots of you are going with um, Nunez uh, in there as well. Um, that seems to be the popular choice. Somebody's mentioned Lautaro Martinez. I don't think that one's realistic, if I'm honest. Um, so, yeah, lots of lots of you think that Darwin Nunez is probably the right man. And i got to say, um, I... I pfft, I'm not 100% dead set on it at the moment, but I'm leaning that way at this moment in time. I really am. Uh, Junior Gunner says, God bless Ola. Absolutely, man. And um, anyone that can help out, no matter how small, um, the link is in the description, as I say, top guy, uh, really very much loved in the Arsenal community and deserves uh, the opportunity to remain um, because he's giving so much to the community, working as a carer for the disabled and, it, 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 I don't want to get into politics on the podcast, but it astounds me how they can put people in these types of positions. People who have done so much good um, since being here. But anyway, um, if you can help, the link is in the description. As I say, get some of your questions in as well. Um, I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear from you. Peany Wings asking about the Discord server. Have I added the new tabs yet? I haven't had a chance, mate. I will do it as soon as I get an opportunity. Um, I'm trying to kind of get loads of odd bits done that I need to do uh, while the international break is on and while I've got the opportunity to do so. So, um, yeah, I I do get a little bit distracted at the minute. As I say, got to take the opportunity to get the bits and bobs done that I don't normally get time to do uh, when the fixtures are coming thick and fast. And so I've been a little bit preoccupied. Um, with other things. Okay. Um, just wanted to quickly touch on before you guys chuck your question. actually chuck the questions in, get them coming in and we'll pick up a few of those before we go. But I just wanted to talk about Patrick Vieira, who has been inducted into the Premier League's Hall of Fame. And it's about bloody time too. Now, non-Arsenal fans would probably disagree with this. And, and the reason I say that is because a lot of them have disagreed with me when I've brought this up in the past, but I genuinely do believe that Patrick Vieira is the greatest midfielder to ever play in the Premier League. I, I believe that. And um and, and I'll explain my reasons why. I think he's been incredibly um influential. His period at Arsenal was unbelievable. He's not only or was not only a beast physically, getting up and down the pitch, strong in the tackle mentally very, very tough, very strong. I mean, anyone who takes on Roy Keane and has him quaking in his boots is 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 my kind of guy. But, um, you know, aside from all that physicality, he, he was just so elegant in the way he carried the ball, in the way he dribbled the ball, wonderful passer, got forward and scored goals from time to time, some really important goals as well. Um, and, I, and I just think when I think of Patrick Vieira, I just think of dominance. That's the word that comes to my mind. And I don't think there's been a Premier League midfielder since that has been as dominant in terms of taking control of an area of the pitch in the way that Patrick Vieira did. I mean, how many times did we used to see Patrick Vieira gallop back and make a sliding challenge, then get back up on his feet and turn around and start carrying the ball the other way, all in in one movement? It was honestly, it was art. It was... Unbelievable! There was a there was a compilation of it going round, I think, on um, on Twitter a little while ago, which I really really enjoyed, um, and it was honestly it was superb. It was it was just like a, a really nice reminder of all the brilliant things that Patrick Vieira used to do on a football pitch. And as I say, a winner. Um, I wish him all the best in his managerial career as well. He's at Crystal Palace at the moment. He's doing a really good job so far, and um, you know it's it's great to see. It really really is. Patrick Vieira in the Premier League's Hall of Fame and for me, the best uh, midfielder ever to play in the Premier League. Maybe I'm biased. Uh, Dawson mentions Yaya Toure. I think Yaya Toure certainly was more influential uh, going forward. I thought that Yaya Toure was certainly um, better in the final third in terms of the impact that he had and the goals he scored and the assists and all that. But I think the role... Of a midfielder changed, like generally speaking, and I think that's why. Although we will look at Patrick Vieira's goal and assist stats and go, well, they don't look amazing. He wasn't ever asked to do that; like that was never part of his game. It was if he did it, it was a bonus. What and what I mean by that is we kind of saw the emergence thing we after of the three-man midfield, where maybe one or two were playing as a defensive midfielder, giving license to you know, uh, somebody else to then get forward. And Yaya Toure played a lot uh, for Manchester City in a more advanced position. And he and he played that role for all the clubs that he, he played for. He was much more advanced than Patrick Vieira ever was. Patrick Vieira's peak and heyday was during a time where it was common to play with two central midfielders who were both required to defend and both required to attack. Patrick Vieira was the ultimate box-to-box midfielder. But that made him kind of a he had to be a master of all trades if you like um in in the sense of he had to be defensively sound but also had to contribute something going forward when he got there um and and what that does when you when you try and master a load of trades you end up being you know good at all of them but you can't or maybe can't Reach your absolute peak or the absolute peak on any of them because you're not focused on one aspect of the game solely. In the way that I believe Yaya Toure was, I believe that Yaya Toure was always given the platform at Manchester City to go on and, and influence the game further up the pitch. That's where the management felt he would bring the most value. Whereas with Patrick Vieira, he was required to do a number of jobs, and and that for me was another th- like it could be used as a stick to beat him with in terms of goal stats and things like that. But for me, it's another reason why he was one of the greatest and um, and one of my favourites. OK, let's go uh, into the chat box. Let's pick up uh, a couple of your questions. Junior Gunner says, Harry, should we consider a move for the for Dibala on a free transfer? He's technical and would fit like a glove in the false nine role, however, doesn't possess the physicality Mikel is looking for as a nine. Thoughts? So we heard yesterday that Paolo Dybala is going to leave Juventus on a free transfer this summer. He's a player that's frustrated me over the years. Um, He's a player I've always looked at and thought has incredible talent and incredible potential. But let's be honest, he never at any point really lived up to it for a period of time. We've seen flashes and glimpses of how good he can be and is, but it's never been delivered on a consistent basis. And I'm concerned about Dybala because of that. I agree with you as well that technically as a false nine, he'd probably be brilliant. You know, that he, you can imagine that he'd be flicking balls around corners, uh, first-time control, uh, you know, sort of lifting the ball over people, having the vision and the technique to pick out passes that only the very elite can see, let alone execute. But as you say, physically, I think he get lost in games. I, I really do. I think that he comes up against, for example, a Van Dijk and a Matip. I think he just gets lost. And then he has to drop deeper to get involved in the game. And I know Lacquer does that but somebody with less physicality would have to drop deeper. In fact, one of the reasons that Laka drops so deep is because although he's more physical than a Paolo Dybala, he's still not physical enough, really. And what then happens is that player drops deeper and deeper and deeper to escape the attentions of the physical players on the opposition side. And they drop into pockets that can be great in the build-up. But then when you work the ball into the wide areas, when you're looking to hit somebody in the penalty area, that becomes a problem. So I'm not convinced on Paolo Dybala. He'll want big money. There's no doubt about that. And and, and I don't think that it's really the kind of investment that Arsenal should be making um, at the moment. Okay, uh, what else have we got in the chat? Uh, Sam says, would you take uh, Tammy Abraham? I like Tammy Abraham. I do. Um, I think he's a player that gives you a lot of the things that we're looking for. I think he's a player that's been brave in his decision to go out to Rome. Um, he's played well in Rome. He's um, he's he's produced good outputs. He's had a big influence on the side. My only thing with, with Tammy Abraham is that I look at players, strikers in particular under Jose Mourinho, and always think that they thrive because... He gears the game around them. He did it with Harry Kane. He did it with even Diego Milito back in the day. He did it with Drogba. He did it with, you know, a number of players over the years. He is the type of manager who has clear favourites in terms of the positions that he prioritises. His view is that if I can get the best out of my striker, as it probably should be, I'm not criticising him for it, if I can set up everything and the environment around the striker to be... um suitable to their game as much as possible, then I'm going to get goals at the very minimum. But sometimes, and I think we've seen this more so in Mourinho's latter years, we saw it at Spurs, it then takes away from some of the structure and organisation of the rest of the team and and I think that you're seeing a little bit of that at Roma now, where Tammy Abraham is thriving because he's under Jose Mourinho. Does Tammy Abraham thrive under Mikel Arteta? Not saying he can't, but Again, you're talking about a player who is, you know, he's owned, if I'm not mistaken, he's still, and I'll just double check this now before I jump down this particular rabbit hole. Tammy Abraham is, no, he's there on a permanent. So it's it's doable. I I don't know why in my head I thought that he was on loan at Rome. He went on a permanent, 36 million pounds. So he's not unattainable. Does he want to move back to the Premier League? I don't know. Um, But I just, yeah, I like Tammy Abraham, but I just think, as I say, to make that, to finish off, to round up that point, Mourinho is so focused on getting the maximum out of his strikers that he does, but then it's normally to the detriment of the rest of the team in some way, shape or form. And I just wonder if that's, what's the word here? That's overblowing or or over showing us. What's the right term here for this? I'm not always lost for words, but I am now. I just wonder if that's over amplifying how good Tammy Abraham actually is. And if he'd have the same effect in an Arsenal side under Mikel Arteta, where the attacking focus is not just on the centre forward, but it's on Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli Odegaard. That's my reservation about Tammy Abraham. Uh, What else have we got? I'm just going to pick out a couple more um, before we go. Uh, DJ M dot uh, says, uh, what do you think about Patrick Schick? Bundesliga's second top striker, 20 and 20 fits the profile for for Arteta too. And thank you for your kind super chat donation, mate. Really, really do appreciate it. Um, Patrick Schick really liked him in the Euros. Um, as did everybody, that goal that he scored at Hamden Park that really kind of captured everybody's imagination, didn't it? He's having a good season in the Bundesliga, but again, is that transferable to the Premier League? Is the big question mark for me. I think if Arsenal are going to go and spend big money on a striker, and we will need to spend big money to get a top quality striker, I think we can all accept that. And we do also need to spend big money to prize him away from Bayer Leverkusen. He's valued at. 37, 38 million euros according to SofaScore. Score. You look at his heat map, you can see he's all over the place getting involved. One of his strengths, according to the site, is anchor play, which is something that we're looking for. Uh for sure. As you said, a really good goal return in the league this season, 20 goals in 20 Bundesliga appearances. But he's 26 years old. And what you've got to um what you've got to decide is. Is are we in the market or, or does the plan cater for signing players of 26, 27 years old, which a lot of people would regard nowadays as coming up to their prime? Or is it very specific in that we need to sign players between the ages of 21 to 23 to make this success long term and sustainable? And, and this is where we're going to find out about the plan, this is where we're going to learn what it is that Arsenal have in mind at the moment. Will Arsenal um, opt for someone that little bit older, not old by any stretch of the imagination, but that little bit older in order to try and maximise what they're investing in, in terms of longevity, in terms of sell-on value, in terms of fitness, in terms of all of those things? Or will they be quite happy having now recruited the core of a team of a very specific age profile to now stretch that a little bit And say, well, if he's 27, 28 years old, but he's ready now and the guy we need, let's do it. That's what we're going to find out this summer, I think. Um, And I'm really curious about that because Edu did say something along those lines, didn't he? He said, well, we're going to, you know, once we've added or or managed the majority of the rebuild, then we're going to start to add quality, ready-made quality. So are we going to see that this summer? That's one of the really interesting things isn't it? So uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on that. But I, I do like Patrick Schick and his goal record for sure speaks for itself. Okay. Um, I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, we're going to be back uh, very, very soon with some more Arsenal-related content. Just a quick uh, shout out. Uh, check out football prizes. Check out Ola's page as well if you can help. Please, please do. Uh, but of course, Uh, make sure you're tuning in in tonight during the international break with nothing else to do to Arsenal women in the Champions League. They're playing against Wolfsburg in a really, really big game. It's live on the DAZN Women's Football YouTube channel for free uh, wherever you are in the world. So if you fancy that tonight, have a watch. I certainly will have a watch. And we'll actually have a bit of a chat about it on... um, on tomorrow's show as well don't forget to hit the like button if you haven't done so already just 62 likes on the board but there's well over 250 of you with us at this moment in time so please do hit that like button let's try and get it up to 100 likes by the time the show ends that would be great I'll be back very soon with more enjoy the rest of your day and until next time take care Goodbye.